The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot-Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. And so happy to be here for the last show of 2021, Nancy. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it, we, we've managed to get through an entire year of this distance thing. We are so hopeful that in 22, we'll be back in a, in a room together. Uh, that would be great. I would love that. Fingers crossed. Uh, but happy to be here with you guys. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and a bunch of other places that Traven will cycle through on your screen. We are also a podcast. This uh, this uh, show will be podcast and will be available as a free download wherever you get your podcast. If you find that that statement is not true because there's some place that we aren't, please alert us because we'd like to know and, and rectify that immediately. Uh, so thrilled. And we're, we want you to know that the chat is open right now. We are live. It is Friday, the 17th of December in 2021. And we love it when you guys interact with us. If you tell us where you're watching, uh, it's, for me, it's always a geography lesson and I'm, I'm geography challenged, Nancy. So, uh, <laughs> so I always enjoy knowing where people are watching from. It makes it super fun for me. And it also allows us to be able to interact. And Nancy and I have a lot to share with you this morning. The first thing though, Nancy, is that I want to remind everybody that our Sensitive Santa event is day after tomorrow. It, we, uh -huh. are, we are in full Sensitive Santa mode right Have now. Have you sold out of tickets? Well, we were sold out and then I went in and opened up some more tickets. So uh -huh. the last I saw this morning, there were a few tickets left. So really urging people, if you're in the Los Angeles area, you have to pre-register. The tickets are free. Uh, that's a very important thing. But you, if you show up on the day of, I can't get you in. You know, it's one of those things. This is a, uh, a COVID safe, sensitive Santa. It's a drive-through. There, you, you have a half hour window that you sign up for, and it gives you one ticket for one carload of people. We do ask that you specify how many uh, individuals are expecting a present in the car so that we can take account and make sure that we've got enough. You will be directed when you get there how to line up your car to be going the right direction. We ask everybody to be safe, keep windows rolled up, um, and you'll enter. You'll have a very brief drive-through experience that will be very fun. And then you, you know, you sort of arrive and elves put toys in the back of your car. You do not get out, but while they're putting the toys in, you get to wave to Santa. Santa will be there. And uh, we're very excited about all of that. And they will be good quality toys, toys that we have been featuring here mm. on the Festival of Toys and that are featured in the Toy Guide and from toy makers in the Toy Guide. So we, we really appreciate all of their generosity and we know that sometimes having, you know, that special toy to be able to put under the tree or to have your child unwrap. Can I say that Dr. Grampy Shea donated all of the wrapping and that she uh, took care of all of the gift wrapping personally herself. It wow. took her out, you know, cause you've helped me with this before, Nancy It is a wee beastie. And when we were talking about doing it this year and I was like, I just don't know that I have the bandwidth. I don't know that I have the staff. And, and she was like, what are the problems? And I was like, well, the gift wrapping sinks my battleship every year. And she was like, no, no, I've got it. Paid for all of it and personally wrapped them herself with a team of people. So I, I'm still getting over that. But so that's on Friday. If you want to register for the last few tickets, and I will tell you that as tickets come, if I see that sometimes somebody registers for more than one ticket because they're registering per child and that's not how it works. It's one ticket, one car load. So I'm correcting those. And as I have the ability, I will throughout the weekend add more tickets when I have the ability. So if you find that we're sold out, um, I might start a waiting list. I haven't decided yet, but just sort of keep tuned in. It's on Eventbrite. Uh, I'm sure Traven will put it up somewhere for you guys to be able to click the link. But if you just go to Eventbrite and look Autism Live, you'll find it. So 
Sunday. And then on Monday, we'll deconstruct and talk about everything that happened. Thank you for letting me take the time to do that, Nancy. But um, we've got a big show here, starting with news and then an interview with Leah Hirschfeld. Right. Let's get right into the news. Uh, Our first story is a very disturbing one. Yeah. Um, The Beerman ABA Autism Center, which is in Rhode Island, um, had allegations made by a mother who said that her nonverbal son was locked in a bathroom and former employees have backed up her allegations. Um, This was a nonverbal child who was not potty trained. And they said that he was left in the bathroom and not allowed, could only leave the bathroom for a five minute period if he successfully went to the bathroom. This has been backed up by employees. So very disturbing and especially disturbing, I think, Shannon, because this center has the words ABA, Autism Center. And this is why sometimes... ABA gets a bad name and a bad reputation. People yeah. hear stories like this and assume that it's, uh, it's a, a type yeah. of policy used across the board with ABA providers, which couldn't be further from the truth, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that, Nancy. Yeah. Uh, we want to be clear that ABA is a teaching technique and that generally when people are doing ABA, that there are levels of certification that they need to be able to do and that good quality ABA is absolutely humane and it's it's teaching. It's just a teaching technique. It's the same teaching technique that people use successfully in corporations, Olympic athletes use it. Um, and it has to be done compassionately and done correctly. And there are, there's a whole Fox and Azarin um, uh, protocol that to do for potty training. And, um, you know, it it has, and that's generally what people use to do potty training. It does not involve locking anyone anywhere. So um, I, we have to be, be clear that these are allegations. We don't know what the truth is, but you're right, Nancy, this puts a bad name on ABA because people go, well, I would never want to have my child locked in a room for eight hours and told that they could only come out for five minutes if they successfully peed on the toilet. No one would want that. That is cruel and inhuman punishment. They are being investigated. I can tell you that if you know if you hear this and you go, "Oh my gosh, my child is at an ABA center right now," I want to remind you that it's it is incumbent upon all of us to be really on top of things and looking at situations because anytime you're adding individuals in, you want to you know these are our kids. I don't think that we can um, ever be over safe, right? But right, but. Um, this is like unconscionable. Uh, I, I expect if they find these allegations to be true, I expect people to go to prison and not just the people who perpetrated it, but the people who were in charge of the people who perpetrated it. And for these people who now are ex-employees and now corroborating the mom's story, um, excuse me, those people people are in a, a lot of hot legal trouble themselves because when you work with children in any capacity in the United States, whether it's an ABA center or in a classroom, you become uh, a court reporter. You have to go through training and you become a court reporter so that if you see any signs of abuse, you are legally obligated to report it. And that's the beginning and end of the story. And you can be prosecuted if you don't. So for the people who stood by saw this kind of thing happening and just quit their jobs and didn't report it, they were trained. That is not proper. You have to report it. And, and so, you know, these, these kinds of things, and I, you know, and I, I know people are going to say, well, you get pressured, whatever. I'm sorry. You are, you, it is explained to you when you get the training. I've been through this training. It is explained to you that you will be protected against your employer that you, you know, that they cannot do all kinds of things to you. And that if you don't, it, this is legally actionable. These, these people who are now saying, yep, that happened. I was there. And then I quit as a result of it, but I didn't bother to report it, um, could find themselves with some jail time as well. Right. Yeah. That's true, Shannon. So, uh, horrifying, horrifying. And, and I, you know, it starts with me thinking about the, if it's true, we don't know, again, allegations, but what this poor, confused 
nonverbal soul must have thought to be locked in a room uh, you for know, eight hours. Amazing. Just horrible. That, that is not ABA. That's not even yeah. bad ABA, but it certainly isn't good ABA. That would never, ever, ever fly. And, yeah. and clearly in a center, whoever was doing, if they were doing it, um, there were other people around who should have said something. So right. Uh, really disturbing, really disturbing. But I wanted to cover it because I, I don't know about you, uh, Nancy, but I think it's important that when these things happen, that we call them out yes, and, and talk about the fact that this is not ABA. No, on any, it's not. On any way, shape, to make it clear that good ABA would never involve practices like this. Even bad ABA would right, never involve. Right, exactly. This is like, abuse. This is abuse. It's abuse. That is exactly what this is. Uh, in other news, a very interesting, and I wanted to get everybody's take on this. I'd love to know what people think about this. Louisiana has a new designation on a driver's license that if you would like to, this is a choice, nobody's forcing you, but if you would like to, you can identify yourself as a person who is on the autism spectrum. And... Um, that you know you will have to provide information so that you can qualify uh but that includes any person diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder by a qualified medical or mental health professional so you can't just self-diagnose um but it can it can be put on it is optional and it can be removed at any time if you request so i know that people are going to have some big emotions about this and some people are going to go i you know this is an opportunity for people to be discriminated against and then other people are going to say this might prevent some of the issues that have happened when people on the spectrum who are driving have been stopped and police start barking orders at them uh I, we covered one story many years ago nancy i don't know if you recall it was a 19 year old who got pulled over by a police yes. officer and called his dad. He said, dad, I don't know what to do. I've been pulled over by the police and I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And dad said, where are you? Dad pulled up in his truck behind, got out of his truck and said, Hey, you need to know the person that you've stopped has autism. And they ended up tasing dad. Uh -huh. um, because dad was like, dad was like, I just want to explain to you. And the police officer had no idea what was happening and said, right. sir, I don't know who you are, but he came in hot, right? And the police officer was like, get back in your truck and don't say anything until we're done here. And dad was in dad mode. He was like, that's my son. He has autism. Police officer was not hearing that. He just saw this man charging at him. Tase dad. Ooh, I, like so painful to watch. Um, so, you know, there is the potential for it to prevent those kinds of things. What do you think, Nancy? What is, what is your I think it's on? a great idea. Um, I think it's going to be a useful tool for the police. Uh, they'll have more of a insight and understanding, hopefully, by seeing this. And I love that it's optional. I would not like it if it was mandatory. Right. I like that it's optional as well. But I think it's a great idea. I'm anxious. What I would like to do is uh, in a year's time, sort of check in and see, you know, did we have fewer horrible incidences where people on the spectrum were discriminated against because the, the police didn't know what they were dealing with? Or did we see the opposite? Did we, do we have anybody who says, you know, I think I was treated unfairly because right. they saw it on my, um, on my driver's license. So we'll have to check in and see what happens with that. And then our last news story, because we have so much to cover today. Okay, Nancy, I know you are much hipper, much cooler than huh? I am. And that you, you know, you were the one you, I remember years ago, you were like, oh, Pitbull. And I was like, what are you talking about? And and you were like, Pitbull, Shannon, do you not know Pitbull? <laughs> so uh, I did not know. I'm just going to admit, I did not know rapper Fat Joe, but um, I did not. Rapper Fat Joe is uh, a stranger to me as well, Shannon. I've never well, heard of him. He won't be anymore because no. he's, a he's a member of our family now. And of course, right. we, wel we welcome him to come on the show to talk with us. I'm definitely going to be reaching out to his people um, he has, uh, uh, done something amazing and shared a message of gratitude for his son who is on the spectrum yes. and, um, and it was a birthday message. I don't know. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Um, 
or part I'm of it? Pulling it up here. Um, hold on. Well, I'll yeah, start. And then life you... is full of surprises. I was just a kid at 19 years old when I had Joey, his son. It was one of the scariest days of my life. Doctors said he wouldn't be normal and kids like this are hard to deal with. Not once did me and my family think of giving up on Joey. He's my junior. It's a lot of work. It's a constant sacrifice that parents make, uh, make to keep their children happy and most of all safe. I've always kept Joey out of the limelight because there are bad elements out there. I never wanted him exposed to. Joey has accomplished above and beyond and I also believe he keeps my parents alive because they love him so much. How do you tell someone who's given you as much joy in life, thank you? How do you tell your best friend and most loyal one, thank you? I am so proud of Joey. He's my heart and soul. I love you, Joey. We all love you, Joey. Thank you for being my biggest blessing in life. Happy birthday, Joey. God bless you. And that makes me tear up. Mm -hmm. What a lovely thing. And what a lovely thing for a dad to put out there who has a following because you know that there are people who follow Fat Joe and um, didn't know this and are dealing with the same thing. Yes. Um, so remarkable. Uh, I certainly appreciate, you know, when we, when, when our, when our son was first diagnosed, I know that we as a family were kind of like looking for examples. We were looking for heroes that we could follow. And back then there weren't very many people that were out there and, there is a part of the autism community that gets really mad when celebrities don't come forward and claim their children publicly on the spectrum. But I think we can all appreciate what he's saying here about, I wanted to keep him out of the limelight. And I, yes. you know, we've seen more and more people who have come out and said, you know, I, I, I really, you know, wanted to keep this private. I know, uh, the Travoltas took so much heat about the fact that they did not come out about Jet. But I, I always used to sit and look at that and go, really? The way they eat celebrities alive? Do we? Right. Would any of us be brave enough to do that to our children if we had that much media following us around? So I, I don't blame anyone when they don't come forward ever. But I do acknowledge the courage and the bravery and the selflessness when someone does. And clearly, this is something that Fat Joe considered, um, thought of his child, and had taken one course of action and has now shared this with all of us. What a, I, what a beautiful message, too. I, I appreciate it. I do, too. I think it's a brave step, and uh, he will be an inspiration to lots of people. Yes, absolutely. And again, we will be reaching out to Fat Joe's people. We'd love to have him on here to talk about their journey. and With his talk. son. It would be great to have him and Joey on. Absolutely. And what a beautiful human being he is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll reach out and see if that's something. Uh, I, of course, always want the moms, too. But, right. Uh, and his know, wife would be great to have her, the mother of his child, yes, I think. Yes. He's not married to uh, Joey's mom anymore. Uh, he has several other children as well, uh, neurotypical well, children. We'll put it out there and see if they'd like to, to drop in at some time and visit with us because I think it's really wonderful. So that's our news for the day. And uh, we, we had to pre-record because she wasn't available during this time. Uh, but so we pre-recorded just a little bit earlier with Leah Hirschfeld and um She's a researcher and we just love it when she's on. And we've been talking a lot about the prevalence numbers, Nancy. She wanted to shed light on, on something else that came out in the new prevalence numbers that hasn't been talked about as much. So shall we watch that interview? Yes, that was, I'm really interested to hear this interview. Let's take a look. Okay. Leah, welcome back to Autism Live. We're so happy to be here with you. If people don't know you, you're Leah Hirschfeld, and you tell us a little bit about what you do because I don't. Your role evolves sometimes. Tell us what you do. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's always a pleasure. I can't believe it's our last one of the year, which is insane. I know. Crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Leah. I work at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, um, and I'm on our research team. So basically, what I got to do is I get to spend my day answering people's questions. Um, and the questions come from our caregivers, our parents, um, 
they come from our clinicians and they come from our insurance companies sometimes to ask, you know, how can we be providing the best therapy possible um, to the most people possible? So we try to give um, the most recent empirically validated studies and information so that we can provide the best care possible. Um, that's part of my job. And then another part of my job is running studies to also answer those questions. Um, so run studies, have participants, analyze data, write all that up, uh, hope it gets published, and um, also come out and talk on Autism Live, talk on confer conferences about the research um, to make sure that we're getting you know, as much information out there as we possibly can. So it, it's, a, it's so a pleasure. Lucky. We're so lucky to be on that list. And uh, you have a spe special topic that's of interest to all of us to talk with us about today. Tell us what we're talking about. Yeah. So um, I try to come on the show and talk about recent research, something that's come out in the last zero to 12 months. So this came out, um, I think, about last week. Um, and it's a CDC announcement, so from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, and they talk about identifying children with autism. And the big splashy headline is that um, children with autism are being identified earlier than previously. This is really cool, and I'll talk about it. Um, it's very exciting work. So some stuff like I didn't know when I was digging into this. Um, the CDC monitors the prevalence of autism in the country. They've been doing this since 1996, and they originally were just in Atlanta. They are now monitoring it in 11 different communities in the United States, in 11 different states. So we got Arizona, Arkansas, California, Georgia, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, New Jersey, Tennessee, Utah, and Wisconsin. Um, and I point this out to, I mean, this is cool, right? So in the last 22 years, we went from monitoring it only in Atlanta to now monitoring it in 11 different states. Um, but I also talk about this because this is a limitation of the data I'm gonna talk about. Um, it is only 11 states. That's only 22% of this country. Um, so the data is not representative of the United States, technically. Um, so it's a little bit harder to generalize, but we're going to probably do it anyway, because that's kind of how our brains work. Um, I don't think most of our brains have an asterisk every time we read this stuff. Um, if it does, that's cool. But <laughs> um, so that's a big limitation. And one of the things that I like to come on the show and talk about is, you know, if you're going to be reading research on your own, absolutely do it. Um, but it's a little different than just reading a news article. Um, so any good research should have a section that says limitations and the CDC totally does. So when you read an article from a research uh, journal, you're gonna have an abstract. You only got two minutes, read the abstract. That is awesome. After that, you've got the introduction. The introduction is really good stuff. It's all the stuff you need to know before you launch into the, the meat of the study. Then there's the methodology. Methodology is cool. It's a lot of um, very detailed information so that the study can be replicated. If a study can't be replicated, that is, that's not great. So you want to be able to make sure your study is replicated. And a lot of the times they'll even say, this is a replicable, like this is us replicating X, Y, and Z. After results, uh, sorry, after methodology, you get results. Um, results are very jargon heavy. There's a lot of statistics there. If that is what your jam, you will love it. Some of us don't. <laughs> uh, and you can move down to the discussion. The discussion is going to translate all of that stuff, all the results for you. Um, and then after the discussions where you're going to hit limitations, every single piece of paper, every single research article should have limitations. And I highly recommend if you don't have much time uh, in the abstract should also have limitations. But if you don't have much time, read the abstract, read your limitations, you'll get a good understanding of what's going on. If you have more time, intro and discussion, and then if you're just like jonesing for all of it, you can go into methodology and for results. But that's a little spiel. Um, I like to you know, give everyone a little heads up. So if they want to read it themselves, that's how I would, I would approach it. Anyway, so CDC, um, they collected data in 2018. And I'll point this out for a few reasons as well. First off, it's 2018 data, which means this is three years old. Second off, it's really important to also note research is slow. Sometimes research can be really fast. It was incredibly fast during everything that happened in 2020, but it is really slow. So it's something that, you know, Shannon, you and I have discussed. You'll ask me if there's something going on at analyzing X, Y, or Z. And the answer is usually yes, but we won't know for five years. That's just standard, unfortunately, in research. Um, but so this data is from 2018. And what they did was they looked at their 11 communities in those 11 states and they looked at eight-year-old children, so kids born in 2010, and they looked at four-year-old children, so kids born in 2014. 
And one of the really cool things here was that they found that 47% of the eight-year-old children, those kids born, born in 2010, um, had been evaluated for autism by 36 months. Okay, three years, that's one in two. Okay, okay, that's fine, okay. Um, but the four-year-olds were 72% of them had a first evaluation by 36 months at th by three years. So that's where you're seeing really potentially here, um, you're identifying children with autism early potentially. You're seeing this big jump. Um, so that's really nice. That's a great trend. Love to have that at 100%, but we'll take 72 for now. Um, so it's going in the at right direction. It's trending in the right direction. Exactly. Okay. It's trending in the right direction. Um, similarly, the male-female ratio was also uh, uh, pretty exciting to talk about. They are also, I think, trending in the right direction. For a really long time, um, autism, at least like when I was growing up for sure, autism was always billed as a male-only or primarily male Um diagnosis. Um, and as I know, Shannon, you and I have talked about this, um, that might not be true, right? There might be just a different presentation for, for women. And that presentation um, might be more socially acceptable. So our repetitive, restrictive behaviors or social communicative deficits might be um, being really into a pop star um, instead of talking about trains. Um, or we might have one best friend, right? Um, so those, those kinds of things. Um, so the male to female ratio for the eight-year-olds was 4.2, which is kind of what we expect. Um, the male to female ratio for four-year-olds was 3.4. So we're seeing this go down a little bit, which is very interesting um, to kind of see also what that trend might look like if they're collecting, you know, 2022 data. I don't know what schedule they're on <laughs> for collecting data, but if they're collecting it again, it might be very interesting to see um, if that ratio continues to go down. Um, so that's very, very exciting. Um, there's a few other things that we can talk about also about, um, income, about, uh, location and about ethnicity that they found. Um, one of the things they found, and this is pretty standard amongst researchers. We've found this a lot of times, lower income households are less likely to have their children evaluated by 36 months. So if you're in a lower income household, um, you're more likely to have your child be noticed for autism by a school teacher that generally happens around four or five. Um, so higher income households generally have their children, um, evaluated during the well baby checks. Um, and that's one of the takeaways I'm going to also try to, to lead into here, um, is, you know, those well baby checks are really important. There's this really interesting model that I found called get set. I didn't find it. CDC did. It was in the CDC paper. Um, <laughs> but I read a little bit more about it. Very interesting. It's called the get set early model. And it's a model that practitioners and um, pediatricians can use to facilitate early ASD diagnosis and treatment. And it works together with the parent to talk about concerns and to monitor concerns. And then there's a triple screen utilizing the 12, 18, and 24-month well baby checkup. So again, really making sure you're going to those well baby checkups. Um, it's a lot, 12, like very frequent, um, but it's really important. So if you can go to those well baby checkups, talk about autism, even if you're not, if you're just, you know, it can sometimes be hard to um, identify it. So you can always bring it up. Um, we, uh, the CDC found that fewer Hispanic children were being identified with autism than black or white children. Um, again, you kind of expect that regardless of ethnicity, everyone's kind of getting the same identification. I didn't have a great reason for that. Um, the only positive note on that is that usually you see both Hispanic and black children being less identified than white. So at least it's only Hispanic, but that's not great either. Um, so we'd like to see all those, you know, go, uh, we'd like that not to be a trend. Um, so it'd be great yeah. as we continue on uh, to see that kind of everyone's being identified at the same rate. Um, yeah. And this one as well, higher proportion of black children compared with white and Hispanic children were classified as having an intellectual disability. Um, again, not great reasonings for that one. Um, Implicit bias might be playing a role. I'm not sure. Um, so those are all things to kind of continue to watch, continue to think about. Um, one cool thing was that non-white and lower household incomes did have a higher prevalence of ASD among children aged four years. So it does seem like we're getting in the right direction on those trends, um, where, again, we kind of expect those prevalences to be the same as everyone else, uh, anyone else, yeah. white, higher, everything. Um, so the fact that they are having a higher prevalence than they did um, again, going in the right direction, but we're not at where we'd like to be. Um, but so that's, that's kind of interesting to look at. Um, 
And then additionally, there were differences based on communities. So one in 26 children in California were identified with autism and that they were the highest um, and compared to one in 60 in Missouri, they were the lowest. Um, so again, you kind of expect that these numbers should be the same. Uh, you wouldn't expect there to be any difference based on where you live, based on economic status, based on ethnicity, any of these things, all these rates should really be the same. Um, so this is kind of also indicating that these communities uh, might be identifying children with autism differently. And there's kind of confounding variables there, right? Um, there's a lot of different makeup of folks who live in Missouri, folks who live in California, et cetera. Um, so again, kind of something interesting, something to note um, that just kind of be aware of. Um, unfortunately, those are kind of our realities, but hopefully again, those trends are changing and getting better. Um, so some takeaways for parents, again, really go to your well baby checkups, um, 12, 18, 24 months. Um, some research indicates that autism can be detected by the first birthday um, and the diagnosis is stable by 14 months. So that's something that even 12, 18 months, you might be able to talk to a pediatrician about. Um, and even just mention, you know, I'm concerned. I'm not even concerned. I just, this is something I heard. Can we talk about it? Right. Um, so it's yeah. something you can talk to them about. Um, there's a lot of, and uh, Shannon, I'm sure there's so many of your, um, of your shows that already talk about this, about how early treatment is crucial, um, really can assist in language, cognitive abilities, social skills. So the earlier you're getting that diagnosis, it is important. You can get your child into treatment earlier as well. Um, and then on top of that, the CDC also has a milestone tracker app that can help caregivers track child's development. That was pretty cool. Um, and they have a Learn the Science Act Early program as well, which provides free resources in English, Spanish, and a bunch of other languages to start monitoring a child's development as young as two months of age. Um, so there are some stuff we can do to kind of keep those trends going up. This data is also three years old, so I'd be really interested to see what happens when the CDC publishes this again uh, with more recent data. Um, but it's very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. So this program that you're talking about showing the signs and where, you know, what to do, where to go, this is great because we've always talked about, you know, needing this, but how do parents access this? Where is this? Is this the best kept secret under, <laughs> under the sun or, because uh, I've always said, you know, whenever I speak, I go, where are the billboards? Where mm -hmm. are the billboards that say, if you're experiencing this, this, and this, go to this person, call this number, get help and assistance to see what's going on. And there's no billboards yet. So where is this information? I think everything about autism and diagnosing and treating is basically the best kept secret under the sun, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I didn't know a lot of this either uh, until I was like, we're going to talk about this and let me research some. So uh, the milestone tracker app, I think you can just download um, the learn the signs act early program is off of the CDC's website. I think if you just okay. Google it and maybe add plus CDC you probably can find it. Okay. The get set early model, um, that one I think is a little bit trickier. I think you probably either have to talk to your doctor and have either a doctor that's interested in doing it, a doctor who will reach, research it or try to find a pediatrician that's doing it. The CDC specifically okay. called it out because um, California doctors in California seem to be adopting that model. And that was potentially one of the reasons their rates were one in 26. Um, yeah. So again, might have to do with where you live, um, but it, it's something you can at least talk to your um, pediatrician about. It's a research, um, there's a bunch of research studies about it too and pretty clear um, graphics that go with it that are like, these are your steps. Um, so that's something you can potentially print out. Uh, if that's any, if anyone's interested um, or if anyone has questions, you can always reach out to research at centerforautism.com, email Shannon as well. Um, but that's certainly something we can probably uh, help with so that you can potentially take it to a pediatrician and say, I'm interested in this. Can you, can you read up on this and, and et cetera? Well, yeah, I really appreciate us talking about this with you because I'll be honest, we, you know, uh, we've talked about it on the show in, from different perspectives. We had uh, Lisa Ackerman from Taka come and talk about it from her point of view. We had Dr. Grant Pichet talk about uh, the, the eight-year-old study, not the four-year-old study. And Nancy and I touched on this briefly. So I love hearing it from a research point of view because both Nancy and I, when we read it, and saw that statistic about how more four-year-olds 
were being diagnosed, we said, okay, well, that's great. We're glad that they're identifying them. However, that means that this number of one in 44 in California, one in 26 in four years time, when we're looking at eight-year-olds, it's going to be substantially, you know, that, that number it's going to be lower because the prevalence will be higher. We always have to remember to flip that a lower number means there's more people on the spectrum. Um, but I think one of the major takeaways takeaways that we all need to be focused on is that the prevalence is the prevalence. Like we need to be watching it and, and watch the prevalence. But the real question is, how, as you said, how early are we getting them diagnosed and getting them into treatment? Because we know that's what works. So as much as we all get into the angst about, oh my gosh, that number is so, you know, that, that means that so many children are impacted. We can, we can have that moment of shock, grief, whatever it is that you have, but the next moment has to be, are these kids getting services? Are these kids getting help? And are there still people who um, have not been identified? And when I hear that it's one in 26 in New York, but it's one in 60 in Missouri, I go completely bonkers when people say, well, that's just because there's more services in California. <laughs> I just, I entirely lose my mind. Unless you're saying, well, there were more people to notice that those kids had. So you know, because maybe it's not one in 60 in Missouri, maybe it's one in 25 in Missouri, and we just didn't identify those kids. And if that's not keeping you all up at night, uh, I don't, I don't want to interrupt your sleep, but we should all be worried about that. Yeah, it's interesting that with California being so much lower, right, one in 26, and Missouri, again, was the highest um, at one in 60. It's interesting to think about there's probably some common ground. There's probably like California is probably a little bit overdiagnosing and maybe potentially in Missouri seems to be underdiagnosing. It's probably in the middle, but those are very different numbers. And again, you kind of expect that to be similar ish, right? One in 26 and one in 33, like something closer. Um, so it's very interesting um, to see the two numbers be so, so different and um, to see if we can kind of get that trend to be more, more middle ground so we can have the same services everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't believe in the overdiagnosis thing okay. because I think it's a continuum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know for years there were kiddos that needed services and they would be told, oh no, the child doesn't qualify for autism. They have PDD NOS. So they have most of it, but not enough to qualify them for the diagnosis. And I saw how the families suffered through that. So if, if occasionally a doctor is saying, uh, it's close, but we're going to say it's autism because we want you to make sure you get the services, then I, I'm, I, for one, I know as a researcher, you might look at that, that as an overdiagnosis, but I look at that as a, like, let's get the kids services. If you need support, let's get services. Um, so but, you know, yeah. I'm not a researcher. I'm not a medical well, I, professional. I know so I'm the... entitled to think of it that way. <laughs> uh, I'm well, sorry, I know in California, talk. too, I think they just passed. No, I, th I think we have a lack. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I know in California, they just passed, I think, just passed another a law where um, you don't have to only have autism diagnosis in order to get those ABA services. So I think in an ideal world, Right. To your point, Shannon, um, you can say, listen, this is what you have and you can still get the services you need. Um, yeah. But also, I agree. I think everyone should get the services they need. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Because yeah. uh, if, if you know what good quality ABA looks like and what it can do, I don't know why. I, I mean, I used to work in the classroom and there were tons of kids that were in there that um, wouldn't have qualified for an autism diagnosis. Not that I diagnosed, but I, you know, you could tell that they have skills that wouldn't, would have disqualified them, right? And yet they could use good ABA because maybe they had ADHD um, or maybe they were just miles behind because, you know, there was commotion going on at home and they need to be caught up and good ABA would have caught them up. So I'm glad that California is starting to look at it and say, if somebody can benefit from this, then, you know, we're not going to hold back. Uh, at some point, we'll have to have you come back on and talk about that. But Leah, I'm, you know, we're, we're closing out the year with you being on. And we look forward to, I know we're not going to have you maybe as much in 2022, but hopefully we get to still see you from time to time because it's so 
delightful to have you on. If people in the interim have questions, where would you like them to send them to me? Or do you want to give the, the research uh, at card address again? Absolutely. Yeah. Either, either works. If you're comfortable um, emailing Shannon or you already have that, go ahead. She'll go forward it over. Um, or you can email us at research at center for autism. Um, and we will take a look. And if there's anything, you know, that comes out, that's really um, interesting, major needs and additional, I mean, everyone can read research, but you know, if it's ever helpful to have me on, um, I will be here. So Always. I'm very excited about um, what next year has to, to offer. And thank you guys so much for having me on for all of this year. Um, and it's always such a delight. So happy holidays and happy new year. Um, and thank you, you so much again. I really appreciate it. We wish you very happy, healthy, productive 2022. Yeah, uh, you, so, and we look forward to seeing you back then. Thank you so much. Hello, we're Shannon. Back, we're back live. So yeah, that, uh, that was a very interesting conversation. Thank you. Did any sure. of it make you want to break out into hives, Nancy? Yes. Um, you know, the, the idea that this might be simply uh, due to better diagnosis, which you and I both agree. Uh, yeah. We have our own feelings about that, that that's not the case. And also the idea that all pediatricians are going to know the warning signs because mine certainly poo-pooed it at a year, at two years old. And then even at three years old, he poo-pooed it and then finally said, well, at least he's at least a year delayed, but I don't know what it is. And yeah. Then I got the wrong diagnosis from the school district. So you can't, unfortunately, the professionals aren't always the final word. You have to keep searching for answers if you don't get answers from the people yeah. that you turn to. You have to keep digging deep. And yet, you know, the, I think the thing that I had the most allergic reaction to, and bless her heart, because I know what she meant, but when she said that there's a possibility that there's an overdiagnosis, and I was like, mm, right. I, I don't believe in that. Because, and here's why, in, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how many people, but Leah has been exposed to thousands of people in her tenure uh, working in the field of research with autism, thousands of people. But you and I, Nancy, working in the capacity that we have both as parents and then working as professionals, uh, you know, sticking microphones in people's places, in faces, going to venues, taking you know, for you taking grant applications from hundreds of thousands of people. I, I just like, I can't think of a single family in that entire time that said to me, you know, our child was diagnosed with autism, but we later realized that that was an overreaction and that they don't have anything that we need to be concerned about and their life is fine and everything is going well. I, I've never heard that story. Right. Not right. once. Never heard it. Never heard it. Never. And I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying if it does exist, it's so unbelievably rare that I don't know why why we would even need to talk about it. But I've never heard of it. So I, I think, you know, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. Right. <laughs> you know, you can tell me you think it's there, but we, you know, we've done lots of different things on it and we don't have proof. Um, so believe what you will believe. But that's my my take on it. Uh, in any case, we got to shift right. gears a little bit because we got 15 minutes to talk about uh, some toys, 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 toys. And I love and we're getting down to the end now. But um, today I have scheduled for Nancy and I to go over some of the in the toy guide, some of our oldies, but goodies. Some of these we've already touched on earlier in the toy guide because um, we needed to get them wrapped to be under the tree. Uh, so uh, we're just going to talk about all of these. But our so we're. We're talking about the oldies but goodies. We're starting with the baby and toddler category. Mm -hmm. And I know, Nancy, both of us are big fans of Melissa and Doug, right? And Melissa and toys. Doug are such great toy makers. All their toys are, you know, wonderful. Um, they have been around for a long time, huh, Shannon? Yes, a very long time. And a lot of their toys are wooden, but not all of them. And this is one of the examples of a toy that is not wooden. Now, in the past, we have given an award to their wooden blocks. Every baby, every toddler needs a set of blocks, you guys. It's just a prerequisite because there are so many things that you can do with blocks. 
And good blocks come with different things on them so that you can work on all different kinds of things. Now, before, in a previous year, we featured Melissa and Doug wooden blocks, and we featured blocks from all different kinds of companies because they have different things that they can do. But this year, we really loved this particular set because they're fabric, they're soft, but they can be stuck together. You can see on them that they've got animals on one side, they've got letters on another side, they have the, what the letter is, uh, what the, excuse me, what the number is corresponds to the number of things on them. Um, and they can be stuck together so that you can build them. They're really lovely. Um, sometimes wooden blocks, look, look, you know, we've all had the, uh, the thing where there's blocks on the floor and somebody steps on one and it's not soft and whatever. Um, these are great because they're super soft, super well-made. Melissa and Doug, you can't go wrong. But blocks, every kid has to have a block. Do you know that there's a type of block that both um, Einstein and Frank Lloyd Wright had as children that, that they identified later on in life as being something that helped them to learn? No, uh, I've never heard that. Blocks never are heard essential. That. Blocks are essential. So yes. everybody's got to have at least one set of blocks early, okay. baby, toddler. And, and you, you work on um, hand-eye coordination. You work on um, matching. You work on imitation. You work on building. There are so many uh, basic skills. Everybody needs a set of blocks when they're babies. Uh, okay, moving on to our, our preschool. I was so excited to see that this item is still available. Did you ever have or play with color forms, Nancy? No, I did not. Oh, no. oh Nancy, I want to get you some. So okay. it's very plastic, right? It's a very much a, a 70s, a 60s and 70s kind of thing. So it's, right. it, we showed the smart felt toy. It's kind of the same thing, only with plastic. Um, and it, it's almost like stickers, but they're repositionable. There's no sticky to them. They just sort of connect to the other plastic. And right. so you, you get a background and then you get all these things to put it all over. Color forms are so fabulous. And that, so they make them, this one is the pet one, but they make them in shapes so that you can do two-dimensional building too. Color forms are so much fun. So we really super love this for preschool. It's going to work on those hand skills, work on speech skills. Color forms are if I put it in front of you right now, Nancy, you would have a field day. I got to okay. see if they, if they still have paper doll ones. Oh, we used to right. love playing oh, paper yeah. dolls with color forms. Oh, fun. Paper, oh, it was fabulous. Okay. Moving on to our school aged oldie, but goodie. This is something that Jem actually had. Um, and that my, my sister loved it so much. We had to get one for my adult sister. Oh, uh, <laughs> This is the soup. There's the moon in my room and the super moon in my room. Uh, this is a great nightlight, Nancy. Have you ever seen right. one of these? Did you ever, like, because Jem had this in his bedroom for the longest time, but I don't know if you would have noticed it. Uh, comes with a remote. Comes from Uncle Milton. I love Uncle Milton. Uncle Milton makes great toys as well. Always they a classic do. toy maker. And I, and I, you know, I love it's got a remote. And, and so you can use it just as a nightlight, right? It's a nightlight, but, okay. But if you have a kiddo who's interested in space and things like that, it's a very uh, realistic um, expression of the moon. I mean, all right. those, it's very, it's, it matches the actual moon. So they can study about, you know, where did the first lunar, uh, you know, where's the sea of tranquility, all of that in their room. But it also, um, it does the phases of the moon. So as you click the remote, it will go through a waxing, waning, gibbous, I don't know all the things. Oh, cool. Uh, but, but my son could tell you. So they can be matching it to what's really happening. Or right. if they're a kiddo who needs something to wind them down at the end of the night and you put them in their room, you give them their remote and you let them, they can, you know, do a, they can do a disco show with the moon until they wear themselves out. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's three dimensional. So it, it right. sits on the wall and it comes out from it. It's super cool. It's a fabulous, fabulous, uh, thing. So, uh, super moon in my room. Love it for the teen tween category. Uh, we already demoed this on the show, the Hasbro Bop It. 
did Wyatt ever play with a boppet? Yes, Wyatt played with a boppet. I love boppets. Boppet's fun. And I love that you can play it by yourself. We were talking right. yesterday about an educationally rich, enriched environment. You can play this completely by yourself. You can play it in the car if you're on a long car ride, or you can play it with someone sitting next to you. So it becomes a social game and a communication yeah. game because you it'll you it'll it says bop it and then you bop it and it says uh -huh. pass. And you pass it to the other person and it says, pull it, pass. And it, you know, so the person has to pull it and pass it. It can be very fun and very silly and you have to pay attention. It builds focus. Love that. Uh, okay, moving on to our adult one. Another Hasbro, oldie but goodie, that we so love. And don't tell anybody, this is under the tree for Gem this year. Clue. Ah. Did you ever play Clue? No, I have not played Clue, but it, it, I oh. would love it. Oh, it's so good. And this particular edition is the retro edition. So, cause Clue comes in every, like if they love, for instance, Seinfeld, I think there's a Seinfeld Clue and there's a every, there's a friend's Clue and uh -huh. you know, there's everything under the sun Clue, but this is the retro version. Um, so it is, uh, I think it's from 1986. It's what exactly they were putting out then, which is memory lane for me. Um, so I super love that really fun game teaches deduction and teamwork and all of that stuff so we we love that and then for our caregivers nancy i, I want to know what you think about this uh we uh said the oldie but goodie is a shutterfly gift card so that you can make uh you know a mug or a calendar or a book uh and put your memories in it um i think I, that's a great idea it'd be great to have them Put their memories with the, if they take care of your kiddo, you could, they could make a memory of themselves with your kiddo, right? Absolutely. And, and one of the things that someone talked about on Oprah a million years ago uh, was that when you have kids, that your kid comes home with this piece of artwork and you love it and you never want to lose it, but you can only yeah. put so much stuff on your refrigerator and your walls. And then it's the next year. And what do you do with all that stuff? And do you throw it away? But that you end up with a garage full of art projects. And for kiddos that like art, like Nancy, I can't mm -hmm. even imagine how run over your house is with, at some point you're going to do an art show for you. It's a little bit different, but we're not going to do an art show. And, and yet I have a couple of bins of artwork from Gem that I can't bear to part with, but I never look at it. It's just tragic. And they were saying on Oprah that the best thing to do is to take your digital camera or your phone, pull it all out and one by one, take pictures of it and make a book on Shutterfly. Now it's all in one place flat and you can pull the book out and look at it whenever you want to. It's not in some bin in the garage. Right. You take the actual project and you toss it knowing that you have a record of it. That's a great idea. I, like I mean, that. I think all of us have those bins of artwork that we don't know what to do with. We don't look at. We just throw them into a corner, into the garage. And um, this is a great way to actually appreciate it and utilize yep. it. Yep, absolutely. So, and like you said, you can do mugs, coffee mugs, and other things where you can look at the art all the time. Or just order photos. One of the right. things that we've done on our phones is stopped getting photos. And because, you know, like who has room to, to store them anymore? But every once in a while, it's nice to sit at a table, get order 100 prints off of your phone. We did this recently. And, and we sat and looked at all of them and, and then gave some of them away, like in gift, you know, when we would, um, when it was somebody's birthday, put one in and said, you know, here's a picture of us together. It's a and great idea for gifts. I actually gave some of Wyatt's ceramic, some of the projects he did in ceramics for Christmas gifts this year. People really appreciated them. Well, there you go. Uh, I can tell you, I've been the pottery puss the last two months. And so th there, there is a, uh, a, a wonka do pottery thing in your future, Nancy. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, Dane says, I was diagnosed with autism in 2018 and my learning disability wasn't diagnosed until tw 2004. 
Um, and so Dane, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that if you have a question for any of the shows that you'll write in, we love the fact that you're here. Amanda says, my son would love that moon. Isn't that great? He has a projection stars now that we use as part of his bedtime routine. This would complement it well. Plus he loves wolves. And since they howl at the moon, I'm sure it would make him happy. That's wonderful. I would tell you, Amanda, check out because, um, Uncle Milton, over the years, I don't know what they've got out this year, but they are, I think they make the best night lights in the world. They have some that are ocean things and it, and it, and it puts an ocean on the wall and it has ocean sounds. And then they have one that's safari, you know, like I said, I don't know what they have out right now, but I know that that moon in the room is available or was available. They sell out sometimes. Um, so check it out, but check out all of Uncle Milton's line of nightlights because um, we've featured them before on the show. They're really wonderful. D- was Wyatt somebody who appreciate, appreciated a nightlight, Nancy? Yes, he had them when he was younger. We haven't had them for years, but he did yes. like them when he was younger. Yeah, I, you know, I, last year we had a lot because we, we had a lot of people who were writing in about anxiety, especially right. teens and adults. And so we featured many different nightlights in the guide last year that like either made noise or um, some, like there was one that was like an amoeba um, okay. or not, no, a jellyfish. That's what it right. was. It was like a right. jellyfish. And so it kind of bubbled almost like a lava lamp. Um right. You know, and sometimes those kinds of things are a horrible distraction and people are like, I can't sleep while it's on. For other people, it's very soothing. I know a lot of adults love when it projects either stars or rainbows or ocean on their ceiling. Right. A lot a lot of those come with timers so that right. after a certain amount of time, it will turn off. I know the, the moon in my room turns off after a certain amount of time. Um so it's to each their own, but if you're having a kiddo who's not wanting to stay in their bed, we found that the moon in my room, because I think that was when we got it was when we were saying, no, bud, you gotta, you gotta be in your room and you gotta stay in your room unless it's an emergency. And we gave him the remote to the moon and that was it. He didn't, yeah. didn't want to, he didn't want to I love the moon. ones. I love the ones that come with sound as well, because those yeah. can be very soothing. I listen to crickets every night as I go to sleep. Oh, Interesting. Well, when I need to, I don't as much need to anymore because I got into a rhythm of it, but I do, and it's one of our other features on the toy guide for caregivers. Uh, I, I do the call map, but I think I've told you, Nancy, I listen, I only listen to the Matthew McConaughey one. Right. <laughs> Just put me to sleep. I swear to you, they said something about Matthew McConaughey on the news last night. And I was like, ah. I, and now he is paired forever with sleep for me. I'm never going to enjoy another one of his movies. It's tragic. Um, but at least I'm getting my sleep. So thank That's you, right. Matthew McConaughey for that. So we've only got uh, a minute and a half here, but uh, I just want to remind everybody that this is our last Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy for 2021. We are going to be back in 2022. You're going to see some changes that are coming about with some of the programming that we're doing on Autism Live, but we're going to be back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. It, I don't know. It might be on a different day. I don't know yet. So stay tuned to get that information. And we are back starting the week of January 10th. Uh, okay. We, we still are doing um, shows at the beginning of next week, but uh, we'll... Wednesdays Ask Dr. Doreen will be the last show of the year. And then we have to take some time off and regroup and recoup. We will be playing during that time while we're off. You'll get the opportunity to see what we call the lost episodes of Autism Live during one of our changeovers with producers. We did some live shows and they never got podcast. Ah. So they, so they were seen once, viewed once, and then they went into the vault. So we're going to take those out and make sure that they're available because they were, I'm sure they were fun and, and woolly and wild shows, but because uh, <laughs> uh, whatever, I think we were going with an interim producer while, while we waited to meet the fabulous Traven. Traven. So uh but we'll, we'll show the lost episodes during that week and a half that we're off. Um, and I also want to remind everybody that don't forget, if you are in the Los Angeles area, there's a wonderful, we think, a wonderful event happening on Sunday. It is 
the Autism Live Sensitive Santa event. Our partners this year, I didn't even talk about this before, are the fabulous, the Ed Asner Center, who I, you know, we all love. And um, they have a wonderful facility. It's just a drive-through. Nobody's getting out of their car. You don't have to worry about being exposed to anything. It is sensitive Santa. There's not going to be any flashing lights. You're not going to be treated to any strobes. It's during the day. You will have an opportunity to wave at Santa from your car. And you will get a free gift for every child that is on the autism spectrum or has other related uh, special needs and their siblings that are under the age of 18. However, you must register. Tickets are going fast. We were sold out for a moment this morning. I opened up some more tickets. Please, if you find that we're sold out, keep checking back because I'm double checking to make sure that nobody mistakenly registered for more than one ticket. There is limited space and I apologize for that, but um, but please register. Register in there will be, be no tickets at the door. Yeah. It, yes. It's always fun. We're always exhausted immediately afterward. And I, I'm in charge of several things, but for the decorations, I'm in charge of the balloons. So ah. when you see me on Monday, I will be fully ballooned out. <laughs> so I hope you'll join us. So that's all the time we have uh, for today. We have. I want to wish everybody, all of our viewers, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We hope that all your dreams come true in 2022. Absolutely. So we'll be back on Monday to tell you about Sensitive Santa. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.